I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Hello and welcome back to the RHS Gardening Podcast. I'm Jenny Bowden, one of the horticultural advisors here. Later in today's edition, I'm going to be joining some of my colleagues in the advice team to answer some of your questions you've sent in about issues you're facing in your own gardens this autumn. Plus, we'll be heading to the trials fields here at RHS Garden Wisley in Surrey. We'll have a look at some of the flowers, fruit and vegetables that are being put through their paces as the teams assess their performance and choose the very best for the coveted award of garden merit, otherwise known as the AGM. This is the gold standard that helps gardeners select the plant varieties that are most likely to deliver great results. But first, fruit. Autumn is one of the busiest times in the orchard as we gather in the harvest and prepare for the next year's growing season. So, how's 2019 been for fruit? Our producer Lucy went to meet the team to hear about this year's successes and challenges and to learn what jobs fruit growers can undertake in the coming weeks. My name is Joe Olds. I work in the orchard at RHS Gardens Wisley. And I'm Bernard Boardman and I work in the orchard at Wisley. This year in the orchard, it's been uh, quite a difficult year in terms of the crop. We had a um, very mild winter then was hit by a really early frost when lots of things were in flower. And we lost a lot of fruit through there. And we've also, it's been quite a good year for things like scab. All the fruit that's been left on the tree has got a lot of scab damage this year. And we've also had a lot of trees go a bit biannual from last year's bumper crop as well. So just to add to the point of uh, it being a difficult year. And that's because they produced so much fruit last year, they're basically gone, we're going to do this every other year because this is too much. Exactly, exactly, yeah. So they've produced loads of fruit one year. Um, We didn't have time to go around the entire orchard and thin everything, which then the trees have decided they're taking a year off, effectively. And is that like to repeat, become a pattern, or can you nip that in the bud, not to use a pun? (laughs) Yeah, so um, you can nip it in the bud by thinning the trees correctly every year. Next year, assuming those trees coming to fruit will make sure that they're the first ones to be thinned. How and when do you thin? Because I think it's a job that often frightens people. The general rule is for dessert apples. We thin them through May, June time, early June. Dessert apples is two apples per hand fist width and cooking apples is one apple per hand span. That's a, that's a rough estimate 
And what, what about other types of fruit? What other kind, kinds of fruit do you grow at Wisley? We also have a pear collection here at Wisley. We nearly 200 varieties of pear, um, nearly 100 varieties of plum out in the orchard. We then have our small vineyard, and then through our display areas, our sort of more fruit garden and fruit collections. We also have the national collection of rhubarb, national collection of ribes, lots of gooseberries and red currants. We also have raspberries, black currants, figs, blueberries. We try and grow a little bit of everything, really. And Bernard, tell me about the vineyard. The vineyard, very interesting. Last year, of course, we had a massive crop. Probably shouldn't have let it get as big, but we were so bowled over that uh, we probably should have thinned that out. So we've never been faced with that problem before, the vineyards reaching a state in its life where it's beginning to produce some good crops. So we learned a lesson from that and thought, right, we will thin it this year. But this year nature took a hand and helped us out. We had some very strange spring. The vines didn't like the fluctuations in temperature and moisture. So we were having hot days and then suddenly it would be cold again and dry. And they're largely wind pollinated. So um, they were flowering at funny times. When the crop did set, it was quite interesting to walk the rows and you could see where the, there were sort of patches sort of in the middle of the vineyard where it was more protected and there was good crop of grapes, good quality of grapes. Like many growers, we had a lot of uh, mildew problems which mainly affected our little collection that we have. But it did get into our phoenix. We managed to stop it. We sprayed it with a product called Serenade Sadly, I don't think it's available to the amateur grower, but you're basically setting one fungal spore to fight another one. It's quite good fun. And we try and use a lot of these biocontrols in everything we do now because nobody likes using nasty chemicals. So we had a bit of a battle on our hands. So the two main varieties of grape that we grow in our vineyard are fairly modern varieties, one called Phoenix and one called Orion, which we actually wish we'd planted more of. I mean, we've all got degrees in hindsight. Uh, so, Is that a red or white? They produce a white wine grape, and they're, they're becoming more known sort of in the viticultural sort of industry and are resistant, especially to downy mildew, which I know has devastated a lot of vineyards this year. And they're not bad eating, actually, are they, Joe? No, they're, no, they're um, pretty sweet grapes. I think can make higher sugar levels than the Phoenix. As so good, good for domestic growers? You know, looking at having a couple of vines rather than a vineyard? Yes, they, they, yeah. they would. You know, I mean, ours don't get big because we don't actually thin the bunches of grapes. We don't take bunches out of it like you would, would with a lovely muscat of Alexandra. I mean, you'd thin the bunch out right through the summer so you had great big juicy grapes. We don't do any of that in the vineyard. But it's, it's not bad eating. You give people them to taste and they think, oh, it's got a lot of pips. It hasn't got any more pips than another grape, but it just hasn't got as much flesh. <laughs> um, so, um, but it, 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 it makes a passable white wine. So if you're a bit of a hobbyist and you want to do a bit of both, try that. Or um, if you really want to grow grapes in your garden, I would advise you to go to a very recent 
issue of the Garden magazine. I can't remember whether it was August or September's, but there's an article in there written by one of our national collection holders, not a Wisley person, but she's done a terrific article and has listed lots of great varieties that will be suitable for different regions, indoors and out. So that could be of real help. What were the winners in terms of the orchard? What fruit was did well? We had good plums, but the badgers enjoyed most <laughs> yeah, of them that's... because they will they will completely ignore an electric fence if there's something tasty on the other side of it. But um, we've had really good crops of late late oh, autumn raspberries have been super this year, haven't they? Yeah, absolutely. Again, as Bernie says, the autumn raspberries have been just fruiting nonstop for such a long period of time this year. We've been uh, putting putting a lot of it on our donation stand, which is in the fruit garden. Sadly, we don't have any more to put out there this year, so we've finished with the donation stand. But yes, in the fruit garden, there is a set-aside area where when we have enough of a crop, particularly the raspberries and blueberries that we've had this year, yes, they'll go to that donation stand for people to take and leave a, leave a donation. So it's mid-October. What jobs are you guys doing? What jobs can domestic gardeners who grow fruit be doing next few weeks? So next week we have our Taste of Autumn show, which starts uh, Wednesday and finishes on Sunday. So we're really setting up for that. We're getting the last of our crop picked out in the orchard. Once we've finished with the show, we'll be looking at planting lists, making sure that the trees are clean in terms of crop underneath them, any windfalls, etc. We'll rake them out and try and pulverise them so that we don't have things like brown rot, fungus and potential scab on leaves overwintering under the trees but then really looking into what there is to plant planting is uh, as I'm sure we all know is a big autumn job for us um, and for everybody just a little add on to the comments about the pulverizing apples we do actually collect some as well and our spoilt fruits we often drop them in piles around the side of the orchard so that any infections aren't going to get in the apple trees but they're still there for our big flocks of field fairs and red wings that do pass through and will spend quite a lot of time with us if the weather's you know if it's cold and there's food for them so we do have the wildlife in mind thank you very much indeed have a great show next week thank you In the next RHS Gardening podcast, we'll be visiting the team in the kitchen garden to hear practical seasonal advice about growing vegetables and herbs. You can find links to more information about all aspects of growing your own edibles on our programme page. There, you can also find recipes for delicious seasonal fruit and veg dishes from RHS Garden Hyde Hall's Head Chef, which we discussed in our last podcast. See links to our back catalogue at rhs.org.uk forward slash podcast or find us on your preferred podcast platform. Now, plants on trial. Each year, the RHS trials team assess the rigour and vigour of various flowers, fruit and veg. Tested against a strict set of criteria, the best performers are then given the Award of Garden Merit, which is often referred to as the AGM, an easily identifiable label that gardeners can use to help them choose best plant varieties. With people increasingly conscious of environmental and economic waste, the AGM is an invaluable tool in helping select plants that will not just survive, but thrive. 
Our producer visited the trials fields here at Wisley to hear about the team's work and some of the assessments that they've been conducting recently. My name is Alex Hankey. I'm the trials team leader at RHS Garden Wisley um, and we look after the garden side of things so we grow the plants on the trials field. We've had a great year. We've had some fantastic trials. We've trialled vegetables, we've trialled shrubs, perennials, some of which are still looking good in the autumn time. At the moment we have the Persicaria trial, which has been a real, real showstopper throughout this summer and still looks really, really good. Persicaria is a very widely grown herbaceous perennial. It flowers really, really exceptionally well in a slightly moist soil. It's got really dramatic foliage variations throughout the, the genera. It has foliage that is slightly variegated on some varieties. Some of the foliage has a kind of a bat wing-like patterning. So it's a really, really amazing genera. And some of them are really arrow-shaped as well, the leaves. So they're really, really, they've got both flower and foliage sort of impact. And how do you decide on what plants are going to be trialled in any particular year? A grand plan of over about five years is put together for plant trialling at Wisley. So we knew what was going to be trialled over the last five years. We knew what was going to happen each year. There's usually about three or four vegetable trials every year. And then there's usually a couple of herbaceous trials that get introduced and a couple of annual trials. But generally there are a few years where there's a lot less uh, going in the ground because some trials take up three years. So if you have many trials that have gone in that are taking up three years, you've got less bed space, obviously, to play with. So the year that's just gone has had a lot of new trials that have gone in, vegetable trials, Crocosmia, Persicaria, all big trials that have taken up a lot of space. So for next year, we'll be introducing a lot fewer trials. Okay, so tell me about the kind of challenges that you have. Because is it like a control experiment? You've got to have the same soil, same watering regime, same feeding regime? Yes, so the trials... We always like to tell people that they're not scientific trials. We call them garden trials. So we're trying to replicate a scenario that the common gardener would be able to recreate at home. So we're not going out there with our little pipettes measuring rainfall for each plant. We're treating them as garden plants. We're growing them as a gardener would at home. So we pair the soil for the start of a new trial. We, we prepare the soil by rotivating it. We'll add organic matter if it's necessary or fertilizers if needed as well we'll consolidate and level the soil and then we'll we'll go in and plant and and we'll mulch like an average gardener would so really treating the plants just like a gardener and and coming up what which ones have you got coming up uh, in the future that you're looking forward to well coming up we're in an interesting time for trials because the new trials garden which is planned to open where the old outdoor plant center was that will be opening in the spring of 2021 so next year we have one final year of cultivation on the trials field as such. There's a few trials that will still be going on until 2021. But next year we have, um, we have a marrow trial, which should be quite exciting. I've never grown marrows before. There's some quite large marrows out there, so they're not large courgettes. There is a type of, there are marrows out there that are exclusively marrows. Uh, we also have an early carrot trial as well. So that'll be sown, kicking things off in early March next year. So it's quite an early thing and we've also got a climbing French bean trial as well so another it's going to be yeah a lot of people will probably be very interested in the results of that At RHS Garden Harlow Car in North Yorkshire the trials field recently hosted a public event to select the People's Choice Award for 
Diplomatus. My name is uh, Sabatino and I'm the trials manager for the RHS. So with my team, we plan the RHS trials across the society, including the off-site gardens as well. We have a category of trials that we call the People's Choice Trials, which are trials that uh, basically the public is the judges of the plants. So we select a specific genus, like this year we had the clematis. The clematis uh, trial that was located at Harlow Car in Yorkshire. Why clematis? Because obviously in the last couple of years, being around the RHS flower show, especially Chelsea, talking with plant breeders, nurserymen, we actually found out that there is a really good selection of clematis, latest variety, that is worth to display to our audience, to our public. So that was a really good opportunity to ask the public which one are your favourite, you know, do you have a favourite clematis? So we had a selection of 28 different cultivars, uh, mainly from the UK but also uh, from uh, Poland, which there's a really good uh, breeding work on clematis at the moment. So some of the energy that were coming from internationally from, from Poland. And we had some really interesting results, actually. The, uh, we had the winner called King's Fisher, which is a Raymond Davison clematis. It's a fantastic plant, and it flowers exceptionally well from spring, late spring, summer, late summer, all the way down to the autumn. So it was actually almost there, flowering the whole time until a few weeks ago. And then on the second place, we had the clematis Maria Skolodowska Curie, one of these Polish uh, new varieties that was announced uh, at the Chelsea Flower Show in 2014 and at that time received so much attention. If you look the flower and you forget about the leaves for a moment, you almost probably associate to a dahlia, dahlia kind of looking flower, which is unusual for a clematis. So really, really interesting one. And also in the third place we had a clematis zara, a sort of violet, uh, bluish color, really interesting. And a great, great plant for small gardens. Those ones are actually specifically selected for container gardening or like small patio area you know we know the situation nowadays where gardens are getting smaller and smaller there's lots of hard landscaping and sometimes people don't want to spend too much time in you know in maintenance so those climates i think are great 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 solution for those kind of gardens as well for more information on rhs plant trials and the agm see the links on our program page And finally, as promised, it's question time. Let's join my colleagues in the advisory room to tackle some of the gardening queries they've received recently. It's a free service to members who can ask questions online, by phone, post or ask us in person at RHS Flower Shows. I'm Jenny Bowden. I answer phone calls and emails and we write articles and I especially like choosing plants for people's gardens. Ornamental plants, right plant, right place. Hello, I'm Lee Hunt and I'm Principal Horticultural Advisor looking after the gardening advice team here at Wisley. This time of year I love salvias. They have wonderful, bright, gorgeous colours, so between pinks and reds. And they only really start flowering now in October and they'll go on right to the last minutes of the frost. And so they are really worthwhile growing for this time of year. Hello, I'm Becky Mealy and I'm a horticultural advisor here at Wisley Gardens. And I really like the autumn time because I actually adore leaf clearance and clearing all the leaves and making leaf mould. I just love raking and wheelbarrowing and just getting really grubby and then having a nice hot bath at the end of the day. 
Right, let's tackle some of the questions. We're here in our advisory meeting room, which doubles up as a studio. We have no windows, so we are fully concentrating on the questions in hand. So we start off with an email from Teresa Blunt, who has a gorilla gardening friend who told her that October is the perfect time for collecting British native trees like oak and birch and hornbeam. What other seeds would be good to keep an eye out for? And what are the simplest ways to germinate and grow these trees, these native British trees? So um, that's quite a big topic, isn't it? Becky? Yeah, hazelnuts are a good thing to look out for. And then obviously if you grow hazels, you can grow nice long tall poles that then you can use in your vegetable garden for growing up your runner beans. But a lot of these things, you have to make sure that you beat the squirrels to them because obviously they'll be stashing them for the autumn. So how would you actually set about sowing them after you've collected them? Is there anything you need to do to them or do you just put them in soil? The thing about a lot of these seeds is they do often benefit from it getting out there in the winter and getting some of that cold weather that's coming because that actually breaks dormancy. It's what we call cold stratification. That literally means that they get cold and the chemicals in the seed change and they're able to germinate in the spring when it gets warmer. So very clever, natural thing. We don't actually have to do lots of clever stuff to make that happen. All we need to do is sow them in pots. So I will often take kind of a, a pan or a tray just because it's more stable When because I'm going to put it at the base of a house wall, which is you know not too wet because there's a bit of shelter from the rain. I'm going to use some standard multipurpose. And depending on the seed, I just want them covered in the tray. They're going to be out there all winter. Just watch it in case we get any dry spells that they don't dry out. Otherwise, up they should pop in the spring. If they don't come up, leave them a second winter because sometimes these things actually take longer. They're quite good things to plant with kids as well, especially the larger seeds because they're, you know, they're quite a physical thing to pop in a pot and you could name the seeds and then come up in the spring. I had a horse chestnut tree that I'd kind of bonsai really as a child. So it's like something that would pop up regularly. And they do bonsai themselves if you don't pot them on. So as soon as they pop out of the ground, you do need to pot them on into the next size pot. Things like oak trees, if you've ever had to take out an oak seedling, as soon as they germinate, they send a taproot straight down, very long rooted. So they do want to be potted on into the next size pot quite quickly. Otherwise, they start to go round. And once they hit the bottom of the pot, then they, they kind of stop. It really sort of halts them in their path. So it's quite good to pot on regularly. And then by the following autumn, you'd probably be putting those little seedlings straight out into the garden. So there's loads of things you can have a go at now, whether it's beech or things like the, the birch and hornbeam and oak. Obviously, lots of these are just around the base of the tree, so you can go and collect them and start growing. Our Trees from Seed page on the website is really good to give you a bit more detail. Fantastic. OK, we have a question here from Ryan Wright in Harrogate. How can I make my garden hedgehog friendly? We have a 10 metres by 20 metres terrace garden in Northampton, a lawn, a small pond, a few shrubs and wooden panelling fence is on all sides. So I'm getting waved at by Becky. So um, have you got hedgehogs in your garden and how can people encourage them into their garden? I think we might okay because there's a, f a few little things that are kind of left behind by okay. the hedgehog so that's how we would know indicating that we've been yes visited. yes remnants of p 
poo. And, so, and it's kind of a dark, kind of sticky substance. Okay. Yeah, it, you, you, you know it when you see it, just don't tread in it. Okay, um, so so they seem to have wooden panelling on all sides, so that's not that friendly, is it? No, so it, what you need to create is a hedgehog highway. Now, you can actually find information on this on Hedgehog Street on their website. So we actually have a garden linked to Hollow Car for Hedgehog Street. And it's where you can actually create a little porthole through your fence, wall, hedge, that needs to be 13 centimetres by 13 centimetres big. This should stop any pets going through so you won't lose your dog. But also on the website, you can get little signs that say Hedgehog Highway and the cutest thing ever. So they're the little green sign or you can actually get ones that are kind of like fairy-like. You can see why I've got really excited. And also you can get in contact with your neighbours and get by them in bulk. And then that's quite a nice thing for everybody to have a Lincoln garden. I think that's the main thing isn't it yeah um yeah what other things might we do to encourage hedgehogs in once they're there it's great to give them a safe place to hide out so uh things like log piles obviously they're good for creepy crawlers and the hedgehogs will feed on those as well but even things like if you've got a compost heap that's not in a bin so just a heap that's put in a bay or you know if you've got three pallets and those are your sides and you push your compost in that will provide just be careful when you start turning it because you don't want to spike a hedgehog the pond is another great thing with these we want something that's not too formal because we want a nice shallow edge where the hedgehog can get down to the water and they can drink and ideally not just disappear in and drown so um, if you have got steep sided ponds then a little ramp for them to get out is the best idea there but yeah really quite simple things and they all make really either useful or attractive things for the garden Mm. so the thing to remember about hedgehogs is they really don't eat bread and milk which can also help disturb their digestive system so it's better to kind of go along the natural route and create a habitat for their you know their native food i think you can put out cat food but it's always worth checking because then you don't really want to put out food and then you get things like rats coming to you we actually have a video on our website where um our helen is on there and telling you what you need to do to encourage his hedgehogs lee could we have the next question please well the next question is from rachel neem by email and she wants to know about cutting back lavender i inherited glorious lavender and rosemary raised bed with four big bushes planted in it now it's finished, should I cut them back? The lavender's looking a bit sad now. So I'm thinking she's probably had a good crop of flowers and now the flowers are looking right, a bit measly. So, yeah, what should she do? Well, now's the time to cut the lavender back a certain amount. I would cut all the flowers back plus about an inch, that's 2.5 centimetres of the growth that has happened this year. So you can prune it at this time of year. And then you might want to go back a little bit lower in April time as well. That's what I would do with the lavender. And the rosemary, you could do the same too. Rosemary's pretty pretty robust. Um, the main time that I would prune rosemary would be in the spring. It probably wouldn't mind if you, if you lowered it slightly to give it a tidy up at this time of year. I think with rosemary, that's early flowering, isn't it? Mm. So um, if you want a really good flower display, mm. leave as much as possible. Mm. Um, but if it is a bit straggly and you can just kind of lower some of the taller shoots back to a lower shoot, that will keep it tidy through the winter and maybe balance it up with the, the lavenders as well. 
Yeah, both of them can get a little bit of winter damage, can't they, from the frost and the wet. So it's a good idea to check them March, April time just to give them a bit of a tidy up. Both with them being Mediterranean, they not always don't always enjoy our wet winters. But the great thing is that the rosemary in the spring can be cut back much harder if you need to because it will spring back from older wood, whereas the lavender, you need to just make sure that you've got plenty of foliage and you're a little bit more gentle with that one. Just in time for Easter to go with your roast lamb. (laughs) Indeed. Thanks very much, everybody. And there's loads more information on the podcast pages of the RHS website. That's all we have time for today, I'm afraid. We'll be back in a fortnight. Until then, from me, Jenny Bowden and all the podcast team, goodbye. Walking down the path in my garden, and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilise the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Discover the beauty of an RHS membership all year round. Save 25% off an RHS membership today when paying by direct debit. Prices start at just £55.50. With a membership, you'll gain access to an array of special events at our gardens all year round. Be the first to know about RHS flower shows and get exclusive member-only days plus reduced rate tickets. And you'll have the chance to enhance your gardening know-how with access to free expert garden advice, monthly editions of The Garden magazine, and so much more. Terms and conditions apply.